Hello, welcome to the show. You're listening to Break the Business Podcast, where we empower indie creators to have a good time along the way. Hi, I'm Ryan Carella. I'm not Ryan Carella. I am Zach Sloan. Ryan Carella's show has been hijacked. I have taken over for the week. I don't know if he's aware of this, but his sister and I have uh, decided that this is our show now. So, welcome to Break the Business. We're going to have a great time tonight. We've got producer Lauren here with us, and we've got a fabulous guest, Teresa Mahoney, uh, a dear friend of mine, a co collaborator of mine, and somebody who got on this podcast with, with Ryan not realizing that her and I were good friends. So, Teresa, you're out there. I want to chat with you a little bit the whole show because Ryan can't tell us no. How are you Howdy. doing, Teresa Mahoney? Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I cannot tell you how excited I was when I found out that you were going to be the host. I mean, I was also like super excited to meet Ryan, but the fact that you're already my friend made it so awesome. Let me tell the listeners out there what happened. Uh, inside baseball, Ryan, Ryan's actually on vacation. I haven't kidnapped him or something. Uh, and he asked if I'd be willing to host the, host the, whole, sh the whole show. He says, I've already got a great guest booked. She's fabulous. You're going to love her. Her name's Teresa Mahoney. And I said, Ryan, I can tell you don't listen to my records. Because if you did, you would know that on my 2019 release, Your Honor, Teresa Mahoney is featured on the song we co-wrote, Reckless and Ready, and she did the photography for the album. Uh, Teresa is a singer-songwriter of many more talents than just that, and we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Uh, second piece of that story, Ryan was telling me this stuff at 1 in the morning, proving his stories about staying up late and watching the Olympics were all true. Uh, Teresa. We got some things. We're going to do an interview with you in the second half of the show. Uh, but to start off, I, I'd like to start off with a little bit of indie music news and just a little thoughts. And I would love to get your take on a few things because you're an indie musician out there in the trenches right now. So I want to talk a little bit about COVID and the impact it's, I believe, going to be having on musicians yet again for maybe a second cycle. Do you have any intro thoughts about Maybe some fears or concerns you have being an indie musician right now? Uh, my first thought is, no! <laughs> like, we just got back! What? That's my thought, too. I, um, I finally, for the first time in a long time, I've been gigging a little bit recently. Um, I've been, we've started to see the light at the end of the tun tunnel, and then it's back. And I'm afraid these gigs are going to start evaporating. And so yeah. for... A lot of musicians, and myself included, I was in this boat for a, for a couple years. That's a primary source of income, right? Getting out there and playing shows. So, what can these indie artists do, who maybe need to be preparing ahead for those shows dry, drying up? Do you have any thoughts about that, Teresa? I do. Um, I think that doing live streams. I mean, obviously, we all kind of learned how to do that in 2020, and I think that's got that's got to be where we have to be prepared to go back to. Now, see, now this is Teresa poking the bear. All right, I interviewed <laughs> Leonard Patterson a couple months ago, and he has a book about live stream ideas for indie artists, and I said I would start live streaming, and I just, I'm having a really hard time getting into live streaming. But Teresa, you do it fairly regularly, am I right? So, because I suck, I haven't been doing it lately, but um, I'm planning to start again because I have an album coming out at the end of this month, so I'm planning to do a weekly, like, Tuesdays live kind of thing. But when I was doing that, when I was in the groove, it was actually really fun, and we had, like, regulars tuning in every week, and it was, like, back and forth, and it was 
not exactly like a live show, but still like some human interaction, which was really fantastic. And um, I think probably because I'm kind of an introvert, it's the reason why I haven't done it for the last like six months is because it's so hard to to gear up and do it and like get all the get all the equipment out and then like like psych yourself up to be like ready to um, engage people and like really be fully on. Oh, it just sounds like so much work. It is, and part of the reason I haven't done it is for those reasons. But one thing that I always try to remind myself, and I think a lot of artists, maybe in the boat, is are in a similar boat. It's hard to go play a show at a club too, right? I right. mean, you got you got to get there, you got to set up. Um, it may be daunting to do it at home, but I feel like, and you're more of an authority than I, is it easier to do a live stream in the grand scheme of things compared to doing a show show at a at a venue? You know, it just occurred to me while you were talking is the accountability. That's the thing. Because every Tuesday when it was time to go live, it would be like an hour before and I'd be like, probably nobody will notice if I don't do it tonight. Like I have like laundry to do and, you know, I probably should make dinner and nobody will notice. But it's like it's like if you make a plan with a friend to go to the gym or like if you sign up and pay for a yoga class, like you're going to go because you, you're invested. It's kind of like how it is playing at a club. Like you can't just not show up or like you won't get hired ever again. But like a live stream, you just have all that wiggle room. Like, yeah, you know, there's TV on. I could just watch it. Like it's, it's motivation. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's an interesting thing. I want to get to the nuts and bolts of it, the quick and easy live stream setup in a minute. Because, but I want to talk about that accountability piece, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my friend Suze Polinsky a little bit later in our in our chat on a different topic. But that's something that Suze and I talked a lot about was having accountability for yourself when you're doing these things, hustling. Because as all of our creators out there know, whether you're making movies, whether you're producing plays, whether you're a musician, you got to hustle your you got to pedal your wares. You got to be out there playing. What are some ways that indie artists can be motivated to do these things in their apartments in their homes while combating the fact that it it feel at least for me feels a little silly sometimes <laughs> do you have thoughts yeah. on on how to motivate yourself i think like having for me what what i noticed was after doing it for like eight or nine weeks in a row it started to be like its own thing, like it had its own life. And I was actually looking forward to interacting with the people kind of like, like I've never played a live show and been like, ugh, I wish I would have stayed home. You know, it's always like there's, really? <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> I got to hear about that. But like, there's always this energy in the room and there's like people that you meet and people talk to you and you're like, ah, oh, this is so fun. This is why I do this. And um, I think it's like a slower start for live streaming. Like at first it was like hard, like, like you're revving up a motor, like, eh, 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 eh. finally it'll just take off and then you want to do it every week. That's, that's what I experienced. And I think kind of the crux of what we're talking about is that in the, in the strong possibility that a lot of these gigs are going to go away or depending on where you are, have already gone away, there needs to be something to fill that hole, to fill that so income loss for these artists. And right. live streams can be a great way to do it, but... When you play a venue, sometimes you just get a check. And when you play a live stream, that's rarely the case. Uh, right. Teresa, have you done anything with like setting up a virtual tip jar or anything like that? Yeah, so I took this class um, from Michael Walker at Modern Musician. I'm still like in the process of it. 
have taken the class. And um, he has got some really fantastic ideas about how to monetize live streams and how to monetize really everything. Like it's kind of all about making your investment back. So um, there's a tip jar, which I've had limited success with. I mean, sometimes people tip, but it's not really top of mind, probably also because I really often forget to mention it. <laughs> you know, it's, it feels like you're begging, you know, like, oh, please, I'm playing music here. Like, you wanna, you wanna pay me? I'm gonna do it either way, but still, you wanna pay me? It's hard, it's hard for me to ask. But anyway, so there's that, there's that. But then also, because of this class I've taken with Modern Musician, I have a link that I have set up that where people can like join my fan club. And if they join my fan club, they get a free CD, my brand new CD, it's not out yet. And all they have to pay for is shipping. So that helps to get people um, involved and engaged. And they're, if they're willing to put like the $7 shipping or whatever towards it, they get like, you know, like some stickers and I can't even remember what all is in the pack, but it's kind of cool. So those things, like if you can mention those often during the live stream, it could be a potential source of income where you're, you don't feel so much like you're begging. You're like actually giving them something of value for their cash. And that's a perfect segue because not only is live streaming probably going to be part of, you know, the, the musical experience again, but there's got to be other ways for artists to monetize their work. And I know it feels a little dirty, a little grimy sometimes to try to make money off of this but i and i still feel that way ladies and gentlemen out there i still feel that way when i'm put out a tip jar um but it when it's when it's your livelihood you gotta do it and so i love what teresa is talking about having a fan club with significant benefits to it um giving out cds um giving out t-shirts um if those of you who can't see at home i'm actually wearing a t-shirt of teresa's from her first what? record. I didn't even notice. I love it. Um, that's right. You're I'm, so cool, I'm, Zach. I'm the super fan who wears the shirt to the band they're about to go see. Um, but finding things like fan club subscription or memberships or even sub subscription services. I've seen some bands recently having a subscription service through things like um, Patreon or Bandcamp, where, or not Bandcamp, excuse me, Patreon, where they are, hey, for $5 a month, you're going to get a patreon only song or something like that have you experimented yeah. anything with that teresa or is that on your list eventually it's on my list because i i don't know if you do you use benzoogle for your website too or is that i think we've talked about benzoogle before i do okay so they have the subscription service that's built in now that like just comes with it so i've actually started setting it up but i haven't pulled the trigger and like made it live yet by the way, um, Banzoogle, um, if you'd like to send us a... I'm just kidding. We're not, we are not sponsored. <laughs> this is not a spo not sponsored content. We're going to talk about how that works later. But um, it could not, be. It could be Banzoogle. Banzoogle, hit me up. At <laughs> Zach underscore Sloan on Twitter. Um, so subscription services like that. Um, merchandise bundles. And one thing I've, I've been seeing, and I've, I know Ryan's talked about this on the podcast. Heck, I've talked about this with Ryan. Creative merchandising options. People will still buy CDs from time to time. It may not always be top of mind, but I have seen some really creative merchandise from some bands I really like. Um, for instance, I have seen uh, cassettes that fold out into like USB drives that have music and things like that. Teresa, what's some of the most creative merchandise you've ever come up with? Um, I actually have those cassettes. I, that's kind of like my favorite thing, but I can't say that now. That's um, who I was talking about. 
I think those are so cool because they're so retro. And every time somebody sees them, they're like, okay, this is cool. Because it's just like a CD and then it folds out and it's USB drive. It's cool. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to say that came to my mind while you were talking was there's this artist. I'm going to have to look her up. And then can we put her in like the show notes or something? What, maybe? Sure. I, yeah. I have no so control of that. Lauren, Lauren our me. producer, is the one who handles that. Lauren, she'll, she'll, catch, she'll take care of that. Um but she asks, she, she emails musicians. I'm sure I'm not the only person who she's contacted. And she says, send me your old guitar strings, your old broken ones, and I will create jewelry out of them. And then you can sell the jewelry to your fans, and it's like your own old guitar strings. I thought that was a pretty cool wow. idea. And when, you, when you're a hack and slash guitar player like me, you break a lot of guitar strings. So that's, <laughs> that's, just, that's just good sense. You can uh, have the best jewelry. I, you know, maybe I just need to get some of that made myself but we're going to talk about other things you've made in the second half of the show during your interview about your actual new record coming out because i want to talk about some other stuff you've made so the final thing i want to talk about this covid situation is we're talking about live streaming we're talking about merchandise options another thing that i i think is worth mentioning and a a friend of mine Ann luna who's a fabulous bass player for the hard road trio offers virtual lessons she does virtual bass lessons she does. You can go uh, and find her videos on YouTube. You can find. You can pay for lessons from her, and that's another source of income that I think some artists and musicians might want to consider during this time. Um, but I have some words of caution. Uh, if you go out there and compete and put your set your price at below what you're worth, you will be asked to be paid less than what you're worth. Um, it is tempting if you're especially if you're in dire straits to say I'm going to I'm going to do half hour lessons for 5 bucks. I don't know if that's a great time investment. Now that's up to everybody individually to determine, but just remember that you have value and figure out what your hour, hourly rate is for you and set that and you know, if you need to wiggle here and there, but make sure you're not selling yourself short because what you do does have value. Um, Teresa, have you ever you have any other ideas that maybe I've missed? As far as um, generating income? Yeah. Yeah, there's a service that Banzoogle is attached to. I think it's called Printful, maybe? Yeah, I should research my names before I come on here. Sorry. Uh, But anyway, what I love about this is you can upload a design, and then people can order it on your website. And once they place the order on your website, it goes straight to that company, and they make one of the item and ship it to the customer. So, like, right now I have, like, 50 t-shirts in my possession that I had made for my upcoming record album. I'm old. I say record. I say <laughs> record. It's fine. Anyway, um, but I, I love the idea. Probably for my next project, I'm just going to do the print on demand because it's a little bit less of a profit margin. However, I think it is actually a better deal in the long run because at the end of the day, I'm probably not going to sell 50 t-shirts. I'm going to have to like slash the prices on what I have left just to get rid of them or just like give them to my friends and family for Christmas or something. I think the print-to-demand thing is something that I first heard about from the CD Baby DIY podcast. Uh, Chris Robley was talking about it. And he said exactly what you um, discussed there, Teresa, that, yeah, the the profit margin might be thinner, but the odds of a loss are almost zero. I think that's something to keep in mind. So He said that very much more efficiently than me. I'm going to try to use those kind of words next time. I'm paraphrasing what he said. (laughs) I Honestly, I just remember him talking about it. So speaking of other th- other ways to make income, now I have my own beef with the streaming model and how musicians are paid via streams because it's it's not enough. And Europe is actually taking other 
um, steps to remedy that. Well, but that's not the topic of today's discussion. I want to talk about playlisting because playlisting can be a way to gain, maybe gain a little bit of exposure, maybe make a little money if you're lucky. Um, but it is a it is a tool that artists need to be aware of. And CD Baby, and I hate to man, I'm just referencing CD Baby all over the place. Um, but that's just that's how it goes sometimes. CD Baby just put out a, an article called Four Tips for Getting Placed on Playlists. It's by Christina Kano. Uh, it came out just yesterday, and it actually had some advice that I really liked. And I was glad to see it come up because, Teresa, I know you've had some success getting on playlists yourself. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of these tips. And I think maybe you and I can kick around what we think of these tips. And so I'm just going to summarize briefly. Um, you know what, Mary Amber? Okay, first of all, uh, Teresa Mahoney, if you don't know Mary Amber, uh, you need to. She's dope. She says, <laughs> streaming and how they, air quotes, pay artists. Sorry, I think I misheard a word in the middle of that. Oh, sentence. that's funny. Yep, She's I think absolutely you did. right. Um, <laughs> it is not a source of, of revenue, and that is part of the reason I wanted to segment it off and talk about playlisting separately. Um, by the way, if you all on Twitch have not gone to Mary Amber's stream, you need to do that. She puts on one of the most professional style streams I have ever seen. Um, she is very talented and hilarious. Go check out Mary Amber's stream, everybody out there. She's the best. And also go listen to some of her back interviews um, on Break the Business because she's just a wealth of knowledge. But the first thing that I think a lot of artists don't realize is that you need to ask for playlist uh, placement that it generally just doesn't fall out of the sky. Teresa, do you, thumbs up or thumbs down on that advice? Do you think that it's good to add? Oh, she says thumbs up, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Why, why? What, what's been your experience with that? Um, yeah, so I have a friend who has a playlist that's pretty heavily followed and I had a couple songs that I thought would be good on it. So I just emailed her, like, she's not like a friend like we go out and have lunch. She's a friend like I met her a couple times and she's a professional musician. So I was kind of nervous to ask her, but I was like, I kind of think these songs, I kind of think they would fit on your playlist. Like, no no pressure, but like, you know, like if, if okay, please. And so she put them both on there, and that is like the playlist that I've gotten the most streams out of, of like any playlist I've ever been on. So I think finding a playlist where your songs are a really good fit is huge, but also not to sound like it's all successes, because I have asked tons of other people too and then i never hear back from them so it does help if you know the person teresa mahoney you have just segued so splendidly <laughs> into the point number two and this is where i'm going to come back and talk about suze polinski because when i first uh got worked with suze years ago one thing that she did with me is she's like zach when you're booking shows you need a spreadsheet of every venue contact information are they a good fit why are they a good fit how much do they pay who is the person in charge? Who is the, you know, every detail. And do your research. Don't pitch yourself to a metal club because that's not what you do. Tip two is do playlist research and keep track of it, right? And one thing that Teresa said there that I think is really helpful is she said my music is a fit for your playlist, right? She's not emailing out into the ether. She's not scattershot guessing. She's saying, hey, my music is a fit because, and she was also very polite, would you please play this? But she's doing some work for the playlist um, curator. Because let's remember, a lot of these playlist curators are just fans. They're just people who love music, right? So treat them nicely, ask, and realize they're not getting paid. So make sure that you're making this worth their while. Teresa, you got anything you want to add to or organization and actually you know, keeping track of who you're pitching to? 
Uh, no, I just think that what you said is a fantastic idea, and I'm going to start doing that. Well, and hey, you know what? I, I, I am here to serve. <laughs> and two and three kind of conflate with describing the playlist, so I actually want to go down to the last tip. And by the way, people, you need to read this article. This is a, f a fantastic thing, top to bottom. But one thing that really I thought was interesting was searching for playlists, because it's not something a lot of people are very good. You think of maybe the release radar. You think of you know, the daily mixes, you think of the stuff that is made for you, but there's a ton of playlists out there and you just have to find them. So you can just do a search, you can do a Google search, right? Or you can use something called Chartmetric. Have you have you ever used Chartmetric, Teresa? Yeah, I have. I used the free trial and I found it really helpful, but I found it like cost prohibitive to continue with it after that. I think it was like $100 a month or something. Teresa Mahoney, it's like you're in my head. <laughs> these these types of cost benefit analysis, just like when I was talking about, you know, making sure that you're charging appropriately for your time for lessons. Whenever you're doing these types of um, campaigns and things, keep in mind your budget. Keep in mind, you know, that streaming is not as Mary Amber said. You're not going to make your money back probably. So what are your goals when you're trying to get on these playlists? If it's to make money, I got bad news for you. That's probably not the best way to do it, right? There are other ways that we talked about in the first segment as far as how to make money. Being on a Spotify playlist is for a different purpose. It's usually for advertising, which some people say exposure. When people say you get paid in exposure, I always just get angry <laughs> at that. So I think of this as paid advertising, and uh, we'll get it. That we're not talking about payola and all that stuff now. That's, that's too much for today. But think of it as advertising. What is your advertising budget? And if you're not able to cover that 100 bucks a month, or I know of some, some playlist services that charge way more than that, know what you're getting into and don't go into it blindly because I think people can lose a lot of money very quickly. Teresa, you got anything to add on to that? Yeah, I, that makes me think of one additional thing that we haven't discussed yet, and um, that is hiring a PR company. So oh. I just recently hired Cyber PR, Ariel Hyatt's company, to promote my new album. So she's um, she's in the middle of it. She's gotten me like... 90 features so far like it's insane how much how well worth the money i'm finding it and a lot of those things have been playlists and for me as someone who's like super busy well because i'm sure i'm the only one who's super busy in the world but no like for for me who finds it tedious to like look up playlists and then cross-reference who the playlist owner is and like try to find them on Facebook and like figure out a way to contact them. Like all that stuff makes me want to bang my head against the wall. But like hiring Ariel with my budgeting money, with like my advertising budget, suit was like the best choice. Absolutely the best choice. A lot of times people confuse what Teresa's talking about with getting a manager. That is not what a manager does. What Teresa's talking about is, as she said, a PR firm. Um, trivia. Ariel Hyatt was my first interview here on Break the Business Podcast. Um, yep, I love Ariel. Tell her I say hello. Um, she's fabulous. But having a set budget, and if you have the budget for a PR firm, might not be a bad investment. Now, before we go to our commercial break, I need to bring on Lauren, the producer. Lauren, could, would you mind talking a little bit about this? There's something going on in the UK with a fringe <laughs> fest. I don't know. What shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing a Teresa Mahoney shirt. What are you wearing? This is what happens when we do pre-shows and you guys get to see what I'm wearing. Um, I'm wearing a shirt from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It looks like the 2016 one with a big owl on it. 
Um, I love the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And for anyone who hasn't made it out there, it is an arts experience like none other. I think there's something like 5,000 shows that happen over the month of August in this one city. And it's just taken over and every street corner bar is turned into a venue. There's pop-ups everywhere. I've met so many bands and artists just walking from the theater shows I do, because Teresa, you haven't met me before. And I'm like the theater person in this group. Um, and going from my shows there from one place to the other, I meet local bands. I've taken their cards. I found them other work. Like there's such networking out there. That being said, COVID has shut that down like most things. And they're kind of sort of opening up this year, but they have a digital platform and it's open. And because of everything, you can register between now and the end of August and still do a show and whatever. But I think networking wise, it's worth it for any artist out there to look into what Ed Fringe is doing digitally, virtually. If you already have something put together, it might be something that you can put up there for other people to see, possibly get reviewed and get some networking access or whatever. Just my two cents. But uh, when the world opens up again, head out to Edinburgh and try to see it in person. It's a uh, it's amazing. Well, and on it's what an Ed Fringe. I got it right here. Edfringe.com. And if you do slash take dash part, but just go to Edfringe.com. They actually have a way. Oh, look at this. It's the producer knows what she's doing. She just put the website up. Um, you, there, it actually will walk you through how to take part in the Fringe Festival, which is wild. And Lauren pointed out something to me that I didn't realize. You can still sign up. So, Lauren, you can sign up through the rest of August. Am I right on that? Yep, you can sign up through the end of August, and they have their own fringe player. So whereas when you're in Edinburgh, you normally have to have a venue to perform in, you can basically create it yourself and put yourself up for a much lower cost than normal and without having to pay to stay in Edinburgh. <laughs> Which uh, the, the plane tickets alone might be a bit much. So Ooh. this is an awesome opportunity for those who are interested I, lauren thank you so much for putting this on my radar because i had somehow <laughs> missed it i see Teresa taking notes on this right now i'm putting it in my phone right now while we're talking <laughs> so this is really cool and plus i gotta tell you this website's pretty fun just to look at so much fun and just even if you're not trying to put your material up go and watch the other performers there are so many shows artists that have put their material up and go out and support them a lot of them are pay what you want shows or free shows just get out there and see stuff because you can it's it's fabulous um right. i'm hopping off thank you guys. thank you lauren you are the best <laughs> aww <laughs> So before we take our first break and then come back and interview the fantastic Teresa Mahoney, who you may have heard of, um, Teresa, I want to ask you about a little bit of pop culture. Pop culture. All right. What is the music that you are, I'm not going to say ashamed, but, you know, maybe you, you listen to on the DL. You don't tell everybody you love this band or yeah. artist. I'm not, and I'm not saying these bands are bad. And I'm going to start off to take the pressure off of you. I love the band Hanson. <laughs> I do. It's like a guilty pleasure. I well, you know what? I don't even say guilty because everybody knows Umbop, blah blah blah. Um, but what people don't know is they've been putting out great records for twenty years, and that they are fabulous songwriters. And I have seen them in concert in the past ten years, and I was the only guy in the con in the venue. <laughs> and you know what? If I was single, that would have been cooler. But my wife was there, so you know, she was just like, "I know why you want to be here." But I love the band Hanson. And I think they are 
wildly underappreciated. So there's mine, right? If I can admit to Umbop being in my top, okay, that's not really my favorite song, but Hanson being a top 100 band for me. What yeah. what bands do you have out there that you just maybe I, people don't realize? Yeah, I have been listening to Ed Sheeran like every day for like a month. Now, Mary Amber, if you're still Ed out Sheeran. there, Ed Sheeran gets paid from Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets a large percentage of Spotify, but that's probably another. from me streaming his songs. But I I incorporated a couple of his songs into my um, live show because I do covers sometimes when I'm at like I, I do covers every time when I'm playing at like a restaurant bar. I do my Freeze. own stuff too. Hold that thought. Pat Cat Amber says Hanson is their favorite band. What? I don't know if I'm being trolled. I hope not. <laughs> but you Pat Cat a, Amber, no, thank you. You found a kindred spirit. Look at Pat Cat. <laughs> let's connect. He just says he. I know my. Or Pat Cat Amber says Zach knows his stuff. Ooh, my <laughs> ego almost doesn't fit in this room as it is. <laughs> thank you, Pat Cat. You just made you made me so excited. I interrupted Teresa. Teresa, you're talking about playing Ed Sheeran songs. Yeah. No. So I I always thought you know like I heard about him because I also really like Taylor Swift, and right like two pop icons, which you would think like an indie in the indie world you would be like, oh no, we only do indie music. But no, I love Taylor Swift and I love Ed Sheeran both. And I, I got so much respect for Ed once I started trying to play his songs and sing them. His range God. is pretty amazing. Um, so there's nothing wrong with talking about your love of Taylor Swift, by the way, because Ryan and I had a running bit for a while where we talked about Taylor Swift every time we were on the show together. <laughs> um, I love Taylor Swift. I think Ed Sheeran is incredibly talented as well. But my real point about this is, why is it that some of these bands are deemed, you know, the, the guilty pleasures, the dirty little secrets, almost taboo in some way. Why yeah. is it that even musicians, who generally we try to be respectful and care about every what other artists do, why do we feel this way? What's, where does that sense of shame even come from? I don't know. It's like, do you remember, like, Debbie Gibson and, like, Tiffany yeah. from, like, what, the 80s? Like, they, they I, both... I remember Tiffany well. They got like that, right? Like, they were super popular and everybody loved them. And then suddenly... They were, I guess, canceled is the right word. And then, like, you couldn't like them anymore. I don't know how that happens or why it happens or why we all participate. And why is it? Because uh, the example that comes to mind for me is actually Britney Spears. When she first came out, the most successful, I remember very vividly when she broke, huge success. Everybody loved her. She was the biggest pop star on the planet. Then suddenly she's hated nobody likes that it's it's almost a joke to like britney spears but now britney spears has sort of come back around where people are in love with her music in love with her story maybe not in love with her story but supportive of her in her story and it's interesting to see through the lens of just the casual observer and who happens to be a musician this cycle that she has gone through and i was wondering can you think of any other and i'm putting you on the spot any other artists who have ridden that cycle all the way around? Loved, mm. Mm, guilty pleasure, back around. Hmm. No? <laughs> I'm thinking. Uh, like, that are, that are, like, cool again. Yeah. I got to keep thinking about that one. But I, I wonder if it has to do with, like, the, the tabloids and like paparazzi and like the stories that they break, you know, to get a headline yeah. that suddenly turns the tide. 
I, I can't think of it, and I think you answered my, my question in that I can't think of anybody else. But if you're in the Twitch chat or even online, if you, li- you listen to the podcast later, tweet at me. At, I'm at Zach underscore Sloan. Um, and Teresa's at, at Teresa Mahoney, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tweet at us and tell us what if you think of somebody, we want to know. Uh, because this is something that I think is interesting, and just from a casual observer perspective, I would like to know a little bit more about. All right. Teresa, it's time to talk about something that I... Well, actually, I'm very happy to talk about this. I don't know what, where I'm good at. Can we talk about your music? <laughs> sure. I've been saying that we're going to take a commercial break, and Lauren has told me we're not taking a commercial break this week, that I just get time with you. So All I right. want to talk about Disillusions. Will you give us a little background on this? Yeah. So um, I, in the last couple, few years, I've sort of, like, changed a lot of my worldview, and I kind of became awake to a lot of the things that I had accepted as normal because that was like the water that I grew up swimming in, um, having to do with like religion and spirituality and like gender issues. And um, so many of these issues like rocked my world once I like looked at them in black and white and was like, what? That's, that's what I've been participating in my whole life. I don't want to participate in that. I don't want to be a part of that. I, I want to, I want to do what I feel like is the right way now with my eyes wide open rather than just what I grew up being told was the right way. Well, clear as mud. Actually, you, you got to something I'm interested in because on your website, TeresaMahoney.com, I, looked at, I was going through your press kit and I found a quote that I really like. You said, it says, the album is my bra- this album is my bravest musical expression. In the last five years, I've learned some powerful lessons. I was raised with particular convictions, but I've looked outside that bubble and seen how other people are affected by that thinking. I felt like I was betraying people staying with those beliefs, so I began questioning everything. Wow. That sounds like a lot has changed for you, and how has that affected your music? That Because you, you write your own songs. How does that affect your writing? Um, I think writing like very honest songs about literal situations that happened has has helped me to become a better songwriter that and my producer Lori Chaffer who like went over every song with a fine-tooth cone with me comb to like make it right and um it yeah to to find the exact word that means exactly what you want to say that also rhymes or you know fits in the rhythm I guess I learned to just keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing until it's right, which which I didn't know to do before this album. Yes, you know, it's a hard thing to to put in the time to find that word or that syllable or maybe we need to restructure this line to make this other part more more powerful. And it's like uh, a big puzzle because you change this and then you have to change this and then no longer the bridge doesn't work anymore. And so like it's all interlocking. Well, and it, what's interesting to me about songwriting is not just the puzzle, but there are those moments where it's like lightning in a bottle. It's amazing, but that's, let's be honest, not the large percentage of the time. A lot of the times you're sh- you're struggling. Or that's me. How, how does it work for you? Yeah, I feel like it's a lot of pushing through. Like there's always, I don't, I don't sit down to write a song until I have like a 80, 85% clear idea of what the song is what it's about what the idea is what i want to say with the song but that last 15 percent is a killer so hard well and one of the things that i wanted to talk to you is about 
you were talking about some of the areas of of you know to are some topics uh from your new record and one of them being embodiment can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that from this perspective of this new album you've got coming out yeah um i read a book called burnout would love to have the author's name right at the tip of my tongue right now sorry burnout mm -hmm. authors it's two sisters and they're amazing but one of the things i learned from that book was um well, it just it brought into perspective the way that our culture um, disses the body. Like you walk into a bathroom at any middle school, high school, and some girl says, oh, I hate my hair. And the next girl's like, oh, I hate my nose. And the next girl's like, I'm fat. And then they look over at you like, what do you hate about your body? Yeah, and you what's have to wrong say something. You? Right? right, like you have to say something. And, and, that, and then you combine that with like airbrushed images that we see on you know, all the visual imagery that we see everywhere we look and all the plastic surgery that people have. And, and like, there's, there's a moving target, first of all, of what's acceptable to look like. But then on top of that, the, the messages that we see all come together to say, what your body looks like isn't good. There's something wrong with it. It's not, it's not, what, whatever the adjective you want to put in there, there's something wrong with your body. And I, after reading that book, and then I also attended a virtual conference during COVID called The Sacred Feminine. And um, it was amazing by Lisa Gunger and a few other people put that on. And it, I just, it just kept occurring to me like over and over and over again, like this body that I have, I refer to her as she now instead of it. I don't say my body, it's cold. I say she's cold. Um, she has carried me through my whole life. The only like um, impulses or and things that she's ever tried to message me with were always for my good. And the way that I repaid her for that kindness was saying mean things about her. Like for example, I, I would always tell people, I am so clumsy. Like my body is just so clumsy. I could fall off a chair, like I literally have fallen off a chair while sitting before. But what I realized one day when I was doing paddleboard yoga was that when I focus, like I can do these intricate yoga poses without falling into the water. So if, if my mind is focused, then my body is not clumsy. So to call my body clumsy is disrespectful. And it's actually a situation where it's user error. It's not my body's fault. It was that I wasn't focusing. Does that make sense? That makes incredible sense. It's the same thing when I get mad at my computer, even though it's doing what I told <laughs> it to do, and it's just doing the wrong thing, right? Totally. But speak Speaking of she, I like how you talked about you call your body she. Um, I believe you had a song titled She that you wanted to play for us. Surprisingly, I actually do. Wait, can you talk <laughs> a little bit about it while you grab your guitar? And yeah. So I just wrote this song in the wake of kind of realizing how much my body is kind to me and how little kindness I've paid her back. And, um, yeah, it's just sort of like an ode to my body. And I hope that other people will hear the song and feel like, like their body is a treasure and beautiful and wonderful, no matter what it looks like, no matter if it conforms to the ideal, you know, body image that we see everywhere. The fact is your body's on your side. Your body tells you messages that you need to listen to. Like, have you ever had a pit in your stomach where something was wrong? That's a message your body's giving you. And there are so many other messages that you can hear once you start listening. So, yeah, that's what this song's about. Teresa Mahoney, take it away. All right. 
turning up the reverb on my mic now. It should be all echoey. Is it echoey? <laughs> all right, here we go. Here's she. Okay, sorry. Microphone cord. All right, we can't do it that way. Okay. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Here we go. Getting love from Mary Amber out there. 
Thank you, Mary Amber. Teresa, I love that song. That is... Oh, she says, woo! All the applause. <laughs> uh, really, I, that is a beautiful song. I love... You can, You play with melodies in ways that are just very pleasing to the ear, and I really enjoy it every time I get to hear you. Thank you uh, so much. Now, I'm hey. going to pitch another song out there. You guys need to listen to her song, Hey Honey, too, because that song's dope. <laughs> Thanks, Ion Jams. I saw that comment. Yeah, and Ion Jams, I tried to reply to you in the Twitch chat earlier, and I locked myself out by mistake. So thank you for saying my album was great. <laughs> um, Teresa, we've talked about some heavy topics. We've talked about some, um, you know, intricate topics. I want to close off our last couple of minutes together by asking about Hawaii surfing and your almost untimely demise <laughs> yeah okay wow so i went to hawaii um and i took the, my daughter there i do photography as we discussed earlier and um she's a senior in high school so i did i took her there for senior pictures my former business partner kendra landry who is up to we opened up a studio together a long time ago she told me when her kids got older, she was going to let them pick wherever they wanted to go for their senior pictures. And I was like, that is such a fantastic idea. I'm totally doing that. So anyway, Madeline, of course, picks Hawaii. And um, so I, I told Kendra, I'm like, Kendra, I did your idea. I took my kids somewhere special for the senior pictures. And she was like, I said that? I don't remember saying that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks anyway for the idea. So anyway, we were in Hawaii. We decided, we decided to try surfing. My um, brother and sister-in-law were there. And she, the sister-in-law, grew up part of the time in Hawaii, so she knew how to surf. And so she's like, I'm going to book the surf instructor, and then we're going to go to this beach where there's great waves, and um, let's go surfing. And I was like, okay, let's do it. I'm in Hawaii. I've got to better surf. So um, then she calls me back, and she's like, okay, actually, the surfing instructor is very expensive, so we're just going to rent boards, but it'll be fine. And I was like, sure, it'll be fine. So we go out to this beach, and it's like a rock beach, you know, made out of lava, so there's no sand. It's like scary pokey rocks like it hurts your feet to get out to the part where you have to start surfing so i should have like thought about that because when you catch a wave what happens you eat it you go into the shore right so oh, apparently you're more uh controlled on a surfboard than i am <laughs> okay well like ideally theoretically if you catch it like it takes you towards the shore and then what happens like anyway i didn't think it all the way through so we were we, we all got injured. My um, sister-in-law got a big, huge bruise on her leg and a gash in her face. And I lost Maddie for a while, my daughter. She, like, went under and got tumbled. I got tumbled a couple times. But the time that I almost died was, um, there. this was a surfer, like, instruction beach. So there's a whole bunch of little groups of instructors and new surfers. So there was this one wave coming. And I was, like, tired. I was, like, I'm, I'm going in now. I'm ready to go in because this is crazy. And we've almost already died like four times so far. And so I'm heading in and I look back and there's this giant wave coming. And there's like eight people, like 15 feet behind me trying to catch that wave. Now, I don't want to catch this wave. I'm trying to go in. But those people all want to catch it. So I took one look back at them and I was like, they are all about to run into me as soon as they catch this wave. Like, so I like closed my eyes and like hung onto my board. And I was like, this is where I die. Okay, this is it. And I just closed my eyes and waited for the wave to hit me and all those people to crash into me. And then like suddenly I was riding a wave and I like peeked open one eye and then the other eye and there was like water hitting me in the face but I still wanted to watch it because I was on top of this wave and I just rode it. And I rode it for like 
20 or 30 seconds. Like it was insanity. And I, and I, I caught the wave and I didn't die. And it was like amazing. That sounds like a metaphor for life. <laughs> so does this, am I right to assume that you watched the surfing during the Olympics with great interest? I'm sorry. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I need a little time to recover from my experience before I'm ready for that. Okay. Teresa, that's fantastic. <laughs> and one other thing I want to talk about with you. You're, I mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, that you're a, a, a woman of many talents. Singer, songwriter, surfer, soap <laughs> maker. Tell us a little bit about your soap. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I make soap. I started making it when my youngest kid was born because he turned pink when I used, like, Johnson & Johnson or, you know, all of the baby products made him pink because he had an allergy or an um, he couldn't do sodium lauryl sulfate, which as it turns out is in like everything because it makes bubbles. So I learned how to make soap and I actually did soap as one of the um, gifts, like packages you could buy when I did my Kickstarter for this album. So like at least half of the people who backed my Kickstarter for this album Delusions have like homemade soap and lotion and stuff in their houses now that they got, which, you know, now that I'm thinking of it, that's another way to make money as a musician, is if you have something else that you can make and sell it, package it with your music. Mm. And I've tried Teresa's Soap. When I got to, when she put out her first record, I was in the band for the album release party, and as part of a gift she gave me was the shirt I'm wearing, and then some fabulous soap. All right, we have time for one more part of the story, or of the, or one more short segment before the sh show is over, Teresa. And at the beginning of the show, I had said that I had had a gig that I didn't want to be at. Yes. And I, like, and I have been, wanting to, this story. I've been yes. wanting to share this story since I started on the podcast. And Ryan and I have always, ha you know, I'm not saying that he was against it. I'm just saying that he's not here, so he can't stop me. <laughs> I, I spent years playing in the Texas music scene, and I was in a band. And we were a straight-up hard rock blues out. Like, think, like, somewhere between, like, Guns N' Roses and Arrows, like somewhere in that genre. Out of the blue, our manager, and we did not need to have a manager, we weren't big enough, that was not money well spent, calls us and says, hey, the Drifters want you to open for them. Do you know who the Drifters are? No, but it sounds like a big deal. Motown era. Like okay, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I've heard of them before, totally. Yes, I believe they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It made no sense like i'm opening tomorrow for a band called dear marcia and that makes sense for me to open for them our music is similar My, that band opening for the drifters was stupid but it's the drifters i'm excited so we play our set nobody Wait, just, just, so that just so, sorry i would try to get this in my mind okay so the drifters are like 60s ish Old. 70s ish yeah early 60s Okay. Uh, maybe even earlier than that, actually, now I think about it. Um, so the person who comes to see them, when they hear you, we're going to be they, like, hmm. We used to open with, like, Hendrix's Voodoo Child. Like they're, they're, <laughs> We got up on in front, and we are playing, and uh, I was so excited. And I was like, I had tried to meet the Drifters before the show. And I was told, no, 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 they can't. You can't um, meet them. You know, I'm like, oh, well, they're old, right? They're a thousand years old at this point. Like, they're probably just too tired. So I play, the crowd is unresponsive. Just nobody cares about us. And, but I get on the side of the stage, and I'm so excited, and I see the drifters come out. And my first thought, Teresa, was, 
Those guys look too young to be the drifters. Oh. And I'm looking at it. It's not making sense. Why am I this blues band? But I'm 21, Teresa. I am ready to be a rock star. I will do whatever it takes. They get out there. They play a great show. This band was fabulous, right? They just looked a little young. After the show, they say, Zach, we want your band to open for us for two weeks worth of dates while we play West Texas and all this area. Wow. Heck yeah. That's amazing. Sign me up. Even though I know in my head it makes no sense. (laughs) We go. We play our next gig in Amarillo, Texas. We pull up. There is line around the block. The local oldie station has been promoting it, promoting it, promoting it. Boom. We get up there. We play Voodoo Child. Four people care that time. We're supposed to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico next, but at the last second, the manager of the Drifter says, hey, we're doing a second show in Amarillo. And I'm like, heck yeah, we are. This place was just sold out. Let's do it again. Let's run this thing back. Here's the problem, Teresa. Nobody had advertised that show. So night two, we go on stage. It is just an empty, empty bar. Not a soul. Nobody knew we were going to be there. I go out back, and I'm looking at the tour bus. And I asked I ask my bandmate, I go, hey, how do you spell drifters? They were D-R-I-F-T-O-R-S. They were not the actual drifters. <laughs> they were impersonators. And they had fooled everybody. And wow. the way we got paid was in bootlegged CDs that had photocopy album covers, and we never got our money. That were those were some gigs I wish I was never a part of. Wow, ladies and okay. gentlemen, thank yeah. thank you for joining <laughs> Teresa Mahonia and I on the Break the Business podcast. Thank you to our fabulous produ- producer Lauren for stepping in and helping us out in the middle. This thank was you, far far too much fun. Everybody out there, you guys, be good. Take care of yourselves and take care of those indie creators. In Don't your forget world. your final question. Oh, I have a look at this. I have a post-it and I skipped it. I know. <laughs> Okay, Teresa, do you have any last tep- tips for those indie creators out there? Yes. Don't give up. That's it. That's it. Don't give up. Just keep doing it. I'm, I mean that. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> she has a tattoo that says that, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't <laughs> see it. Teresa, you are fabulous. Lauren, you are extra fabulous. Y'all take care of y- yourselves out there. Be Thank good to you yourself. So much. Be good it was to your so body. Awesome talking to you. Yes. Be good to your bodies. Teresa, it's good to see you. I can't wait to see you soon. Peace. Okay.